everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Lead Her podcast. Today we are in the company of the lovely Dr. Kate Blackford from Origami Conjunctive Hypnotherapy and from TMP as well and we actually met down in London at a TMP event um, which Kate was presenting at. She did an incredible talk at the event which is held for coaches and entrepreneurs. It's all about helping them unlock any kind of self-doubt they've got or struggles that they've got in their business to kind of become the best that they can be in their business. And Kate also helps women free themselves from anxiety, self-criticism and worry, which I know myself and many of our listeners have struggled with or will be struggling with. Kate also has a degree, I've got my fingers ready, we've got a degree in psychology and a PhD in organisational psychology and you've also got many years of experience in leadership as well and coaching people and organisations through positive change. So Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, I'm so, so excited to be here. I'm really excited to be here. Good, and from that introduction, is there any other skills that we could add to that? Because I feel every time I meet you, there's something else I have learned that (laughs) you have been through or that you've learned. Is there anything we would add to that incredible list? I think you got most of it. The only thing I would add is artist. (laughs) And dog (laughs) mum. Yes, and dog mum to two really ill-mannered, badly behaved dogs. (laughs) That probably says more about me. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And you can probably hear from that introduction why we have got you here as a guest. Like we want this podcast to help women become the best that they can be, unlock their full potential. And I was struggling a little bit with this podcast, like what route we went down, because I know you help women in so many different ways through building their self-esteem, building their confidence through menopause and through eating behaviours as well. So there's so much to your knowledge, but I felt like I personally wanted to kind of start a little bit with you and your own life and your own journey, because I know you've been through your own self-development journey, which has led you down to what you kind of do today. So I was just wondering, would you be happy maybe to kind of discuss your struggle and, and what you went through in the past to go into further education yeah of course absolutely where would you like me to start well I guess you you were a little bit unhappy in the past with your job and you're a bit unfulfilled and I think a lot of women really kind of feel like that and and that you had your own therapist that then took you down that path yeah so um I actually, it started when I was a child, the kind of the anxiety stuff um, and low self-esteem always, very self-conscious, very shy. Um, And when I went to university, I actually suffered with anorexia and I'm uh, nearly five foot ten. I went down at my worst to just over five stone in weight. Um, I don't know what that is in kilograms, but it's quite light. Um, So a whole raft of other issues kind of came with that. And I ended up scraping through my degree and coming out of university and not really knowing what I wanted to do, but nonetheless, no longer an unhealthy weight. And I'm being really, really careful with my words there because I wasn't, I wasn't in a healthy state. I just wasn't considered anorexic anymore. And I sort of fell into various jobs and hopped around quite a lot and eventually ended up working in consultancy. And that was kind of what started me on the path to where I am today um and I work for a really really little company of consultants who were looking at the psychology of risk and safety so we worked in a lot of heavy industry pretty much so mining tarmacking roads um manufacturing uh, logistics port shipping freight all the kind of really old school heavy industries where there's the highest risk generally um and uh yeah some quite interesting cultures to work within um so and that was how I kind of got interested in the cultural stuff and the leadership stuff because when you're looking at risk and safety from the psychological perspective it actually does really um depend on the culture of the environment that you're working with the um the leadership that you're or leadership style and structure that you're working within and so I kind of started to get more more kind of interested in that side of things um and then in 2008 early 2009 it was the recession hit in 2008 there was a big recession and I got made redundant in 2009 and 
just couldn't get another job. No. Couldn't get another job. And um, I don't know if anybody else out there has had an experience of redundancy, but it really, at that point in my life, it completely destroyed my sense of self-esteem, my self-worth. My whole identity had been wrapped up in what I did for a living. Mm -hmm. And I'd never realised that. So whilst it was incredibly challenging at the time, um, when I reflect back on it, it was a great experience for highlighting actually how one dimensional my kind of my my sense of identity had become. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up in my 30s going back to university yeah. to do a PhD because I thought that'd be a great idea. <laughs> um, there were no jobs around. Um, I felt kind of stagnant in my career. I didn't know that I wanted to go back to exactly what I'd been doing before. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go and get another qualification. So I um, I found a, a funded PhD opportunity with the University of Bath and I put in an application and went through the interview process and they picked me, much to my utter shock, quite frankly. Um, so... <laughs> So I, yeah, then I, I went back to uni and that was, it was a real myriad of emotions and experiences because because on the one hand, I was more mature. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of had a bit more confidence because of my life experience and um, particularly in studying organizational psychology, but I hadn't studied for years. Like, and if you don't use that, part of your brain it does get a bit lazy if I'm honest so it was quite a shock to the system trying to go back and actually starting to to study again and with a PhD it's so different to a degree or a master's because you don't have any structure you're literally you have your question and then you design the way that you're going to answer your question and then you go out and do it so it's really unstructured as well so that was quite a challenge yeah. Um, added to which I was having to get up at 6am to drive to Bath from Reading because I live in Reading um, and I didn't want to relocate. So, yeah, so there were loads of sort of learnings and challenges in there. Um, but also I got some great experiences. I got to go and teach um, research study skills to degree level students. Um, I got to guest lecture and do a couple of spots for um, the master's course on organisational psychology. So I got some really lovely experiences as well through the opportunity to do that. And actually, after I'd graduated, I was a, um, a workplace based supervisor for another PhD student, which was a lovely experience to have. So it was really it was quite an interesting kind of on the one hand, there were all these wonderful experiences that were so kind of confidence building and, and affirming that I did have value after the knock of the redundancy but then there was the struggle with the studying where I was like I don't even know how to do this anymore <laughs> how many years was it for going back to study for um so I did I took five years to write my PhD so yeah. usually if you do full-time they take three years and I did um a, a bit of full-time and then I went back to work full-time and finished off part-time so it was a bit of it was a bit of an epic journey I'll be honest yeah. and the bit I liked the least was writing up the study mm -hmm. and um that was the bit that took the time actually getting my head into writing it and and also the thing was that I'd spent a number of years translating academic research into information in a form that anybody could absorb and understand and apply and now suddenly I was having to go back into writing in a very academic way and part of me was really resistant to that because I was like knowledge should be available to everyone we shouldn't use language as a barrier to people accessing knowledge and insight so there was this whole internal battle I have to write in this particular way to satisfy academic criteria but I really don't want to <laughs> <laughs> and I guess in a way like a lot of women when they do hit their 30s they've maybe like you'd already studied at like maybe what would it be 18 19 20 we've already done through studying so then kind of going into studying again a lot of women can be really put off it especially like the thought of five years 
like but that time's going to pass anyway whether you do something with it or not so what what do you feel feel kind of kept you moving forward and not being too intimidated by the time gap that it was going to take to get that PhD? To be honest, and forgive the dogs barking in the background if you can hear them, I'm so sorry. I did <laughs> tell you they were unruly and undisciplined. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't really, I didn't really think about it at the start. It was just, I cannot keep applying for job after job and getting rejection after rejection. I need to feel like I'm doing something productive with my time. Yeah. I need to feel like in some way I'm moving forward. So it was almost like the decision was made for me because I'd picked up bits of contract work in between from the redundancy, but nothing that was really fulfilling me or nothing that I wanted to take forwards. And so it was, I was kind of, it, it was, it was the only option to me that the time that I felt like would allow me to continue to move forward. And, and I also, you know, I did other things around it as well to help pay the bills. So I worked part time in a pub. I went back to bar work. <laughs> yeah. And you would learn more stuff about you. <laughs> and you doing that, did you, um, if, if the redundancy didn't happen, do you feel that you maybe would have went into further education or do you not know? Do you think you still had that pull? I wonder if I might have just carried on doing what I was doing and wondering where I should have been. I yeah. do think that while it was really challenging at the time, and I do apologise for the barking in the background. <laughs> this is going to be one long podcast. If I'm really sorry about the dogs barking, they're usually so good. Um, so I think um, I think I would have carried on floating around and maybe I would have come to it eventually, but... I think that actually the the redundancy, while it was it was really tough at the time, was actually, I guess, kind of the shove I needed mm-hmm. to actually think about doing something different and expand my horizons a bit. Yeah. So we did our PhD, and and then where have you kind of taken things since then? So um, since then, um, I went <laughs> into consultancy for a while. Um, just while I figured out where I was going to go and then I <clears throat> I did that for a bit and reaffirmed that I didn't particularly want to be doing it for somebody else all the time and then I went into leadership positions so I started to um, do roles that were around culture change within organizations as a senior leader within an organization so um, I worked for Network Rail for a bit I worked for a company called SGN, Scotia Gas Networks, for a bit. Um, so again, quite heavy industry. And then um, most recently, Associated British Ports. And I was looking after the culture change programme for their whole company. So they've got 21 ports all around the UK. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was always on the go, always travelling somewhere. Um, and doing something and meeting incredible people uh, you know like the guys out on the docks and had this fantastic experience once where it was I was doing some um, work with a particular team down in Southampton and um, I wanted to really understand what they did and how their job worked so I decided I was going to go out on a shift with them <laughs> and in my, wisdom, <laughs> yeah, in my wisdom decided to go in the middle of December on a night shift wow oh god that seems horrible freezing. it was absolutely freezing but my goodness did I get an understanding of what they had to deal with in the course of doing their jobs and I always loved those experiences working with all of the people kind of at the front line and really kind of taking time to understand their position I think often leaders don't do that enough mm-hmm. or even at all mm-hmm. they might pop out on a scheduled site visit they don't put on their bright orange personal protective equipment with the hard hat and the gloves and the boots and the yeah um the whole lot it looks stunning stunning um I think I can safely say orange is not my color um <laughs> but you know and, and they really appreciated that I just took the time not only to just go and sit in a nice warm break room and chat to them but actually go out and get out on the job and see what they were doing and experience it with them um and that was hugely powerful in bringing those kind of people on board with the culture change program that I was working on so yeah yeah, I think that's if if I was to give like one big leadership tip it's go out and really learn 
what people at all levels of the organization do but go and do it with them don't ask them about it in a nice cozy room over a nice warm cup of coffee (laughs) don't just go out and do it in the summer um go and yeah go and experience get the hands dirty and yes we do have a few lead her members who do kind of work in kind of male dominated industries like that and it does cause some bust-ups between the two of them and sometimes you can see a woman who is very educated and has worked her way through to get to a certain level and you've got the other men there that have done the work as well but they seem to kind of clash and and maybe when it is a smaller woman they can be kind of dominated a little bit so like I guess is that something that you've maybe kind of experienced like working in those fields and is that is that is there any kind of advice you could give to women who maybe feel like they just want to go into their inner child and 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 feel small (laughs) when they are being shouted at or they are feeling aggression towards them like how do we manage that in a big place I've had so many experiences and I will not attach any in any particular order to any particular organization (laughs) (laughs) but I've had um in consultant roles I've had uh, directors saying what does a little girl know about our business Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want a woman to train us because our guys won't connect with a woman. We need a man. Yeah. Um, a colleague on a senior leadership team, as I walked into a meeting and once tapped his lap and said, there's a seat for you here. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, one particular colleague oh. in an organisation, he would use his size and... Um, tone and he would stand over you and he was quite a big guy stand over you and really kind of quite aggressive intimidating and and do you know what I really don't like that I really really don't like it and I've seen different women respond in different ways to it um and some women try to act more like men in the workplace to fit in mm-hmm. and that was never ever even an option for me because I couldn't be anything but me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I guess I just, it was incredibly, I'm not saying it was easy, it was incredibly uncomfortable. I would just hold my ground and just mm-hmm. say nothing often, just say nothing mm-hmm. and stare or just turn around and walk away and go to a seat at the other end of the room and just sit myself down and get myself prepared. Mm-hmm. And if they follow it up, I just say, well, I really don't appreciate being spoken to like that. But that was hard. I'm not, not, you know gonna say it isn't because when you're particularly I mean I was often one of the if not the only woman in the room um one of the few women at that kind of position in organizations mm-hmm. so yeah it was challenging I think the other thing was that that the other way that I've been undermined is men starting rumors about me okay. so a particularly funny one was a rumor about me having a fling with a female colleague Oh, wow. My my partner, Paul, was really pleased to hear about that one. Um, There was also another one about me having a fling with a a male colleague who's married, um, which could have been really destructive to his relationship. You know, it was just and those things, I always just laughed them off because I just thought, well, if people want to think I'm colourful, then let them. Um, Mm -hmm. People that know me will know that. I was always more concerned for anybody else who was impacted by it. But I would always talk to my partner about it. We'd have a good laugh. And uh, actually the male colleague that I was supposedly having a, a fling with, um, when he and I used to work together, I'd have him on the phone and I'd say to Paul, oh, it's my other man on the phone. <laughs> so I, I used to just not let it get to me and not take it too seriously. And I think, you know, for me, even though I would get called fluffy psychologist and all of these kind of things, I could only be me. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I felt like I proved myself in my ability to get out there on site with people, to really connect with people at all levels and to to kind of get the evidence I needed to know what I was doing. If if people chose not to, to listen to that, that's not on me. Yeah, yeah. So I think like probably the biggest thing there is when you said about not replying or keeping quiet, because I think sometimes like silence is power and a lot of people yeah. don't realise that. Like, and I, and I think when people are angry or raising their voice, they're not listening, they're, they're, their ears are switched off. So there's almost no point in arguing back sometimes and taking space away helps you calm down. Because when people are acting that way towards you, you your heart rate increases, like adrenaline's going through your body. It's quite 
it's quite difficult. So it is good just to take that space and, and gather your thoughts and let the situation calm down. And, and that can be so powerful because they're like, why is she not reacting? Why is she not quitting? Why is she not giving up? They probably see you more powerful than anything from just kind of taking that time out, I guess. Absolutely. And the other thing, so silence, stepping mm-hmm. back or speaking really quietly mm-hmm. and softly. Because even if they're still shouting over you, as long as you don't shout back, you don't add fuel. Yeah. So that's the that that's the thing but yeah it, it was tough and and it shouldn't be like that it yeah. shouldn't be like that and I think the thing that that made me more committed to being me rather than trying to conform to the norms of behavior within some of the more dominant men in <laughs> leadership oh. positions was that you know if we truly want diversity in businesses you're not getting that if women go into businesses and try and act like men mm-hmm. you know true diversity diversity of thought diversity of style of working diversity of leadership diversity of belief ideology all of these things can be hugely powerful they can create understanding they can engender greater inspiration and creativity and and collaboration and that's only going to be a positive thing so why why would we go into a, a an environment and not be true to our, ourselves not share the unique perspective that each of us has to offer mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do that yeah and I guess you believed in what you were doing as well and I think that really helps like when you know the direction you want to go down and you know who you are and you you know the outcome the business and the the center is going to kind of have from the work that you do then that keeps you showing up because you know eventually it's all going to work and it's all kind of kind of come together and it's just having that belief in yourself I think maybe helps as well yeah absolutely and I think again that linked back into my connection with people Mm -hmm. and connecting with people at all different levels in all different roles and functions because that kept me absolutely laser focused on the fact that I was there my job was there to keep people safe healthy and well mm-hmm. to create a culture that actually wasn't only about making sure people went home in the same state they came in but positively added to their life yeah and that's what I'm really passionate about I don't think organizations should just be stopping at whether you're talking about safety health well-being anything it shouldn't stop at no accidents or no occupational health cases or or no you know mental ill health cases it should be this organization actively does things to enhance people's lives and experiences yeah yeah I love that and do you feel like in a way the first time it happens is sometimes makes you stronger for the next time I guess because it is experience and I think all every time you're put out your comfort zone or made to do something that's difficult you do get stronger from it and that's not to justify other people's behavior in any way but I do feel the more you experience something the better you get at managing it and dealing it and you learn what tactic you maybe did take that got a better outcome come with that individual that maybe the first time it will be horrible and it, it will be hard when people speak to you in a certain way but the next time you'll maybe manage it better and you'll be able to sleep better that night I can imagine yeah. the first time you've experienced these things it's you've lay there struggling to sleep and worried about all these things that could or might happen to yeah absolutely yeah. and I think as well the other thing that I did was I did go when I was working in some of these environments if it was particularly challenging I went and got some help from a therapist to see if there are any underlying triggers in there mm-hmm. because yeah. often there can be things that trigger us that we're not necessarily aware of. And I had had an, a particular experience where I'd find found the behavior of a male colleague very threatening. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to understand why I'd found that so threatening, what, what was creating such a strong reaction from me. And so I went and got not only some resolution on that, but some tools and tips for how to how to own my space a bit more and how to do those things like, because I didn't just automatically, you know, to stand there quietly and just use silence. I I didn't know that I had to learn it. And some of it was trial and error and some of it was going and doing the work. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And do you feel it's maybe changing in a little way? Like I know there is some rules and regulations coming inside the business place now where they are expect they are understanding women better and the kind of help we need do you feel like it's getting a little bit better that there is more support if we are feeling that way at work or do you feel it's still probably much the same 
<laughs> I would love to say I think it's getting better. Um, I couldn't say that hand on my heart, honestly, I don't. Um, I think um, sometimes it's actually becoming more insidious. So it's harder to kind of call people on. Mm -hmm. And that's why if we hear like, the the kind of the sexist comment or the sexist joke it's on all of us to to challenge it mm -hmm. and I think the difficulty with that is that you start to have that conversation and people go well this is you know political correctness gone mad yeah so for me it's about relationship I had this wonderful colleague I worked with who was he was close on retirement when I worked with him very old school absolutely brilliant yeah. and he could get away with calling me the fluffy psychologist because he and I had a connection that yeah. we understood each other and I knew it wasn't malicious I knew it wasn't belittling it was his kind of his way of actually crediting me and I would go out of my way to make him blush because it was so easy to do and we had a real banter relationship so I think it's about relationship you know it's not all office banter is bad if it is not within a relationship that is understanding that it's banter and accepting of it then it's a problem or if it's at the expense of someone else then it's the problem and I think that's the thing that often we lose when these conversations are coming up in the news and the media is the the nuance mm -hmm. of you can't just make a line and say it's this side of the line or it's this side of the line unfortunately it's it's a bit more delicate than that because come on we've all got a sense of humor yeah yeah <laughs> most I of us feel, I feel like in a way though there is outside sources of help now though like I feel like there's podcasts like this there's lots of podcasts I've listened to you do as well where I feel we can at least relate to each other and know that we have these struggles and that they happen and maybe just having other people that understand it rather than feeling like oh I should just accept this and this is the way it is it's like well it's, yeah I think definitely externally there's, yeah there is a lot more and I think that's one of the things that why I'm always happy to talk about my experiences and to be open about them, why I'm talking, you know, trying to get out there and talk about things like perimenopause and the menopause and all of those elements of even of, you know, women's experiences through their reproductive life. It's, it's so important that we understand these things and we talk about them because for whatever reason, there's been all this sort of secrecy yeah. around all of these women's issues and they're under researched they're underfunded they're not understood so yeah we have to get out there and help each other mm -hmm. and I think you're right there's loads of those external sources and there are organizations out there who are investing and doing the work and you know I do a bit of um do do a bit of contracting till uh, consulting still with um organizations i, I screen the organizations I work with very carefully to make sure they're at the right stage of cultural um, development for that but you know there are some out there who I've recently done a series of um, little bite-sized videos about menopause not only just for women for the symptoms but for leaders how to support your staff if they're going through this mm -hmm. um, and for getting good sleep and for good nutrition and for kind of just much more general well-being um sessions on anxiety and depression and how to manage them and what to do and so yeah there are organizations out there who have some incredible people within them who are really pushing this stuff forward so there are little glimmers within <laughs> organizations and a big glaring spotlight outside I think from people like you doing podcasts and you know ma making the conversation happen yeah yeah because I, I remember hearing something recently and it was saying about a good woman is an easygoing woman and and I always had that myself growing up that I wanted to be really easygoing I wanted to be funny I wanted to just like laugh things off and everything's just the way it is just get on with it and until you kind of really stop and you go actually that's not okay like I shouldn't be easy who told me to be easygoing and it's just like and I've only really kind of realized that recently that you don't need to be easygoing and to please men it's, it's just so funny like how I've recognized that recently and I do think I noticed that more from people actually speaking about these things and speaking about our experiences and speaking through problems like this so that we can know that it still exists it's not perfect but there's ways that we can manage it and chat about it together than people pleasing and and just getting on with it because it shouldn't be accepted really no 
No, and it is still the case that when women assert themselves, they are often labelled as aggressive, mm-hmm. whereas men are labelled as assertive. So, and you're right, and I think, you know, that women are, are being so stretched by conflicting demands on them, mm-hmm. by what kind of job they're supposed to have, what kind of home they're supposed to have, what car they should have, how they should dress, how they should look, what size they should be, uh, being a perfect mum, being a good employee, being bright, but not too bright, being opinionated, but expressing those in a way that's acceptable. You know, don't be too skinny, don't be too fat, don't be too gobby, don't be too quiet. Don't. And a lot of these things are conflicting in different areas of women's lives. So it's no wonder that women have anxiety or low self-esteem or low self-worth or self-doubt or limiting beliefs because what bit are they supposed to believe when and who are they supposed to be in any given circumstance? And I guess it goes back to the book that we were talking about at the beginning that I recommended to you. There's a, there's a book that I love called Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power by Cassia Obaniak. And she's got a fantastic backstory. She's a fascinating woman. But she talks about actually when we step into our power, it's about connecting with what we want internally, what we want to express, what we want to be, what we want to do, who we are internally. And that connection with our internal desires will enable us to really powerfully communicate those externally. And I think that's really true. I think when we are in alignment, when we are being our authentic self that's when we can really connect with people that's when we can really have powerful conversations and make powerful connections Mm -hmm. and you know so I think that that's really important because society pulls you in so many different directions Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard actually to be able to figure out what where am I in this Mm -hmm. and that's often what I help women do they come to me they're like I'm lost I feel like I've lost myself Maybe the youngest kid is just kind of getting independent at school and they're, they're thinking of what they're going to do next. They're going to go back to work full time or what are they? Do they want to try starting their own business? What do they want to do? But who are they in amongst <clears throat> mum, wife, housekeeper, you know, yeah. uh, employee? So, yeah, I think it's it's so important because how can you communicate powerfully and passionately and connect with people if you don't know really? what it is that you want to communicate. Yeah, and I absolutely love that. And that's where Lead Her kind of came from was myself. Like I was lost last year and I just felt so stuck and I wasn't in alignment. Like I wasn't following the path that I wanted to follow down. I wanted to, I was a little bit constructed with this way of, should I stay the coach that just helps people look a certain way? Because that's what people want. But that didn't make me happy to actually being like, okay, actually, let's look at the deeper stuff that I know women actually need help with to build their confidence and to feel good about themselves and find the things that they want to do. Because I know that's where happiness really comes from. Not just, of course, if you do all of this, then you're going to get fitter, you're going to get healthier and you will see physical benefits, but you're also going to see career benefits and lifestyle benefits. And then I was just going down that route. And that took me a while just to kind of find what my alignment was. Um, So I love when you say that because I feel so clear and crisp in who I am and what I want to do now from discovering that. Whereas when I was torn, my confidence was low and I wasn't feeling my happiest and I think we don't realize that when we are not living the way we want to live that's where you feel lost and you don't know who you are and you do struggle so I guess that kind of comes on awesomely to our our next question which was um, with obviously with you you work with a lot of women and you're helping them kind of overcome self-criticism anxiety worry self-doubt criticism so you help a lot of women with these kind of issues so what do you feel would be the right kind of steps for people that are feeling that way to like kind of overcome that is there anything from what you've done with your clients that you've seen really rewarding and really helping them yeah I think that the thing is is it's often about actually simplifying it because we are so inundated with different with people's opinions with different perspectives with different ideas with different demands or standards or expectations and I think it really is actually about stepping back from that and just actually turning down the volume on some of all that external noise Mm -hmm. so whether that's through 
going for a walk in the countryside and just breathing Mm -hmm. and reflecting and starting to get into practice, even if it's just for 10 minutes, just get out and, and get somewhere where it's a bit quieter, where there's not the phones and the traffic and the people and the, <laughs> the clamor. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think then if you separate yourself from it, that's when you can start to reconnect. I think we get so bombarded with external messages and communication and, and social norms and all of these kind of things that we, it's really hard to hear what is actually going on within us. And so I think taking that time out, so through um, meditation or through walking or going for a jog or whatever it is that works for you, but getting yourself away from external influences and just actually then starting to practice connecting in with maybe what's the, what are the things that I really love? What are the things that make me feel inspired? When have I felt really confident and good in my life? what things make me feel less confident and good and actually starting to figure out the edges of the things that are nourishing you and the things that perhaps are depleting you and then you can start to narrow it down to what things really could be the reflection of me and my true self and then you can start to understand more about who you are as a person and your beliefs in that way as well by just reflecting on what things you value what things that you would absolutely stand up for what what things you believe is right what things you believe are wrong where's you know where's your value set what are your beliefs what are your aspirations and that can be really hard to do because particularly women in amongst all the demands can become really disconnected from that Mm -hmm. so again in her book Cassia Baniak says suggests a couple of exercises which I absolutely love and she says start with the bad girl protocol so you get a little notebook and the bad girl protocol you write down every bad thing that you want to do <laughs> I've not got to that part in the book um, yet. I'm looking forward to it <laughs> however bad however evil however <laughs> awful it seems write it all down keep a book and keep writing it down and then have another book a book of desires and in that one write down every desire you have however outlandish however inaccessible it might seem because through doing that, actually, what we're doing is we're acknowledging the things that we think we are too unpleasant to acknowledge, even sometimes to ourselves mm-hmm. about the bad girl protocol. And even sometimes with the desires, we think we don't deserve it. We, we don't deserve to be desiring of those things. So what we're starting to do is we're starting to reconnect with those internal elements of ourselves that have been smooshed. And when we start to do that, then we can start to reconnect with who we are. Then we can start to become more aligned and that helps us step into our power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does take time, isn't it? It's, it's almost like fat loss or a workout program or whatever. People think they meditate once or twice or take that space out a few times and they're going to get all the answers. But for me, it probably took a, a, well, a good year to decide that I actually needed to sort something out and that I wasn't happy with what I was doing. So then a good couple of months of really slowing down, exactly like you said, and just taking time out and allowing myself that time. And a part of me felt guilty that I should be working and I should be doing stuff and I shouldn't take this time out to write in a journal or find my values or think about what's in my head I was always like no I need to be doing stuff but when you do slow down and I don't know if you've ever read the book um is it is it time to think when you just by Nancy Clancy I think and you just give yourself that time to think it's so powerful and like you said there is just constant noise all the time that never lets us stop to understand ourselves and what are our values and what are our beliefs and what do we want to do with our life because we're just non-stop yeah absolutely yeah yeah amazing any other little tips that would maybe kind of help someone come over any self-doubt that they've got I think I mean I think if they're if they're really really struggling and it's limiting their life or their experiences it's, it's time to reach out and talk to somebody yeah. I think there are some things you can do for yourself and some things you perhaps need a bit of, of support with mm-hmm. and the thing I would say is just to reiterate your point there this the single biggest factor in clients that end up returning to me so I do some work with them they they get their outcomes and off they go is when they've let the little mindset resilience practices drop Mm -hmm. so that's the the five minutes of meditation the short walk 
the writing your, your gratitudes each evening, um, jotting some things in a journal. And they come back and they say, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm starting to struggle. And I'll say, right, so first off, are you using the guided visualizations I recorded for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, was I supposed to still be using those? Yeah. Yes, they were a life tool. Have you been using the tools that we learned? Ah, oh, no, I felt better, so I stopped doing it. And what about the journaling? And you work through it and you find that all these little tiny maintenance practices, because when we're pushed for time, it's those little things that we drop first, but it's those little things that are going to get us through mm-hmm. the difficult times. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is, it's no different. Mental well-being is no different to physical well-being. If you don't exercise the muscle, it atrophies. If you don't exercise the muscle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so true isn't it and and a lot of people wait till they're at their worst place to yes. do meditation or to get help and and it's the reality is is that we probably need it even when we're in our best places yeah. to, to keep okay. practicing these skills and to keep looking into giving ourselves time to think and yes. doing it even when we feel fantastic because exactly. yeah it's, it's something to keep repeating doing amazing thank you so much for sharing that with us and for us as well, like what I kind of notice with a lot of the women on who listen to this podcast and a lot of our members, they have been mums or they have been very driven in their career and they put their career first. That what I kind of see a lot of us do seem to always put ourselves to the bottom of a priority list. Everything else comes above that. Is that something that you've worked with clients on before? Yes. <laughs> it's actually, it's rare that I work with a woman that that isn't part of the issue. <laughs> Yes, I do a lot of work and a lot of conversations around self-care isn't selfish, self-care is self-preservation. So if you take one tagline away from today, ladies, self-care is self-preservation. <laughs> because yeah, if you know it's it, and and I know it's the it's the metaphor we trot out for everything, but if if you don't put your own oxygen mask on first, it's very hard to help anybody else. And what I find is women who are running on empty have been running on empty for a long time and get to the point where they just can't keep doing it because they haven't been refueling, mm-hmm. haven't been nourishing themselves in whatever way they do that. And, and it doesn't have to be big stuff. It can be just honoring your bad girl. <laughs> her. It can be actually acknowledging your desires. It can be a few minutes of meditation. It can be a spa day. It can be investing in some help to get in the shape that you want to get in, get fit and healthy and learn how to actually, you know, work with your body in a way that feels good. And so you don't only then feel physically strong when you work out, you feel more mentally resilient as well. So it's actually, it doesn't have to be this great big time consuming things. There are little ways you can start to build things in, but ultimately it comes down to self-worth. You know, when we put ourselves at the bottom of the list it's because for whatever reason, we don't think we are as worthy as somebody else. That's often the root cause. Sometimes it's people pleasing, but again, that's about worthiness. That's about, I have to make these people happy so they like me or accept me. And so I see a lot of the self-worth being it's a big hole where the self-worth should be or the people pleasing because people are frightened, women are frightened that they're not good enough for who, as who they are. They have to do everything for everybody and that makes them good enough or okay or accept, not even good enough, often acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. It's And, and that's, that's kind of the core issue that has to be worked on in order to figure out, well, where is this idea that you are unworthy come from? And then we can reframe that, we can rewrite it. We can help get past it. Yeah. So Perfect. Yeah. And I do think exactly like you said there, like it doesn't need to be a lot. Cause I think when you are overwhelmed and you do have this list of things to do, that it is easy to forget about yourself and just go well if I was to exercise or if I was to cook myself a meal that's more time and I don't have that time but it doesn't need to be every day it doesn't need to be every hour it can just be a little 20 minutes here and there like you said of meditation or exercising or if it is with kids getting kids involved with it because we know it's good for them as well that there is little tiny tiny ways that you can start adding in things to bring yourself up that priority list and I do firmly believe that 
when we look after you, everything else follows suit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And again, it's about um, particularly, you know, whether you're a parent, whether you're a leader, you know, it, when you look after yourself, you show up as the best version of yourself for the people in your life around you. Mm-hmm. And that's not only good for you, it's good for everybody else as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, amazing. So I've only, I think I've only got two questions I was going to ask before we go today. <laughs> so like, <laughs> How do you feel women can know when they are really optimal and they're at the the best place? Because I think sometimes women can be guilty of being in a good place and wanting more and more and more and more. So how do we know when we're at like this peak performance or we're at our full potential, as we would say on lead her? What what would you say? How would you say we can define that? Or how do we know we're at that best place? So I can tell you what my perspective on it is. Mm-hmm. That would be perfect. It's only my perspective because <laughs> everybody's going to have a different one. Um, and here's the thing. I, when I worked in corporate, I earned a six figure salary, salary. I drove a brand new Mercedes, wore all the Caramillan suits, mostly because that's the only brand that actually fits me because I'm so awkward of a shape. But anyway, and I kept thinking, why am I not happy? Why am I still, I've got everything. I've got the power suit. I've got the high powered job in London. I've got the nice smart car. I've, what's wrong with me? And actually for a while that forced me to, to progress and get promotion on promotion because each time I got to that point of, but I'm still not happy. I'd go for a promotion to try and earn more money, get more prestige, prestige, a higher level job title, whatever. None of it worked. Yes, I love my car. I did. And when I got rid of it, because you can't fit two boisterous dogs in a coupe, <laughs> work. Yeah. I was gutted, but I didn't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I got to a point where however much, whatever my job title, however much I earned, it just wasn't making a difference. And so I actually completely deconstructed and redefined my idea of success and so I had I had absorbed this idea I guess from society it wasn't my parents they were always just really pleased that I did well in in school and really pleased that you know I was I was a a helpful polite person you know they just they they didn't necessarily ever need me to do anything wonderful they just needed me to be happy being me and I think the thing is that society kind of sells us this idea of of all this stuff that we should be or own or do and I just absorbed it and and that had become my my idea of what I thought success was Mm -hmm. but when I actually looked at it it wasn't my idea of success Mm -hmm. it was just this principle I'd absorbed and when I shook that off and really looked at it that was when I walked out of that career and well trained to become a therapist and coach and and that involved a massive pay cut (laughs) and getting rid of the Mercedes and you know what I live a much simpler life and lots of people have benefited from my wardrobe when I sold it on vintage so (laughs) Um, but you know it I've everything is simplified I live a much simpler calmer happier life Mm -hmm. I take walks with my dogs every morning I take huge joy in when the bluebells start to come through because that means it's spring and it will soon be warming up, maybe. Not this year. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Summer, I'm sat here with the heating on. Um, I I take time, actually, to take a minute out during the day and sit in the garden and watch the big fat bumblebee buzzing lazily around the plants collecting pollen. It brings me joy. So everything is simpler. It's all scaled down because... Once I realized that for me, it was about doing a job that I love where I'm helping people. It was about having conversations like this to help as many people as possible to feel more comfortable to continue the conversation. It was about spending time with the people and the four-legged friends I love most. (laughs) Not living in a hotel and driving for five hours to get home on Friday night, you know? So actually it I I would really suggest that you know you're living up to your full potential when you get that sense of quiet contentment Mm -hmm. the caveat to that is 
as human beings, we have a range of emotions for a reason. If we don't feel sad sometimes, we don't know what happy is. If we don't feel discontent, we don't feel content. But as a baseline, that kind of, I'm in a good place. I'm living a good life. I feel comfortable with what I do and with how I do it. I feel like I'm authentically presenting myself to the world. For me, that's it. Wow. I love every little bit of that that you've said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just being outdoors and walking the dog. It's just lighting the fire in winter as well. Like I know you said about spring and coming into spring. But for me, even going into winter, when everyone hates winter, I'm like, I can get my fire on and we can get candles and all these lovely little things daily do make us so much more happy than the things that are far away from us. Cause these are things we get daily, little daily joys that make us happy and make us feel good. And sometimes you can be so busy again and you just don't realize all of this and you just want to get on holiday and then you get on holiday and then you still then want to get be somewhere else and it never ends. No, it doesn't. And you know, there is no one definition of what, what feeling like you're living to your full potential is or feeling like you have, created a life of success for yourself and there's no there's no right or wrong some people will thrive in the environment that I found unfulfilling and that's perfect we need different people that enjoy different things and get get sparked to joy from different different ways of being so you know it's not about right or wrong it's about what's right for you yeah not necessarily what you've just absorbed from society without realizing it Amazing. I think that's a perfect way to finish our podcast today. I feel very relaxed coming down to the end of it there. (laughs) But no, it's been absolutely awesome today, Kate. And for anyone that maybe feels they've got more questions they want to ask you or they want to read more of your stuff, like where where can where can we find Kate? We can find Kate at um (laughs) www.origami as in paper folding origami hyphen life.com. Mm-hmm. Um, or just kate at origami-life.com but what I'm going to do after this is actually I'm going to send you a very short four minute moment of calm meditation um, to send out to all your ladies um, from me so that if they did want to try just taking four short minutes um, perhaps you know if they're having a stressful day at the office they can nip into the ladies room and pop the iPod on and listen to it there or something for a moment Um Yes. So I'll send that over so they at least have a tool to have a try with if they'd like to. And um, yeah, perhaps you could pop my details out with that as well. Yeah, I'll pop that all on the podcast description. But that's so kind of you. Thank you for for doing that for us, because I know we'll really, really benefit. You're so welcome. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, everyone else for listening. And um, I'll leave Kate's details in the description. I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll speak to you all very soon.